0: Uh, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter two, and so you never know if you're close to the pastor, bud, you might you might end up in a sermon illustration, and normally that's probably not a good thing, right? Well, hey, listen, I uh, I've noticed as we have entered into this Lenten season uh, that some of you are are certainly doing your devotion that we handed out to you as a church, and I hope that you have found that beneficial. Um, uh, bishop Barron, who is a Catholic bishop, uh, he wrote that devotional, and uh, I think it's very helpful. And you know, it's a, it's a neat thing to hear from a different voice, from a different tradition. And so I would I would commend that to you. If you did receive that, if you didn't receive it, it is at the back um, of the sanctuary there. Pick up a copy. Um, if you'd like to make a donation, certainly do that. Um, but if not, then just uh, have it on have it on us. Okay, so. All right, Genesis chapter 2. Now, where I want to begin today is by saying this, first of all. Ash Wednesday, which was just past Wednesday, was a day where we remembered that we are dust, and that to dust we shall return. And many of you came to our service, and I understand not everybody was able to, but those of you who did, you saw ashes placed on your forehead in the sign of a cross. And, of course, on mine as well. And what this means is that we are dust. Like in the beginning, remember, this is what God himself says. Out of the dirt, he creates us, breathes within us his life. And then in chapter 3, which we just read, if you keep going down, what he ends up saying is this. Notice these words, you are dust. This is God speaking about them. 319, you are dust and to dust you shall return. So what we said to you is biblical. And it is a reminder of who we are. Now, thing about dust. Is it's not very important in our world, is it? I mean, have you ever had a bit of dust that you really cherished? <laughs> Most of the time, we do this number with it, right? It's like, oh man, people are coming. We got to get this off of here, right? And so, dust is just not that important. It flies around. Every, I mean, there's dust in the air right now, right? That's you know how that works. And so, it's not very significant seeming, and yet. God thinks so because he joined himself to dust. Think about that. He joined himself to us. And so Abraham, while interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, you may remember his words too. Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. You see, it's a realization of... ...of who we are. Now, look, we dress up and we get all pompous sometimes... ...for certain events and we look majestic. But at the end of the day, guess what? Dust. Just dust. That's all. The greatest people who have ever lived... ...the least of these who have ever lived... ...just dust. The psalmist says it this way... ...for he knows... ...how we are formed. He remembers... ...that we are dust... Psalm 103, 14. It's an honest... Oh, we're doing honest realization... ...that even though we think of ourselves as great and grand... ...it only takes a moment, doesn't it? To become dust. Except for the breath of God. You knew the good news was coming, right? (laughs) The good news is this. He, God, has breathed within this earthen vessel this broken earthen vessel that leaks. And He has put His most precious gift, who is the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, don't you? You just said it. Yes, He has put His breath in us so that dust and divinity are one. What a thought that is. One world religion uh, professor, Houston Smith, he says, we are a blend of dust and divinity. And I think he's right, as long as he means the triune God who's doing the creating and the breathing, right? <laughs> we don't have some spark of divinity that is our own that we need to realize. No, we need to come in t- contact with the Holy One, which is who we have been talking about over, the, well, this whole year. Holiness unto the Lord. What is holiness? The Holy One walking with the Holy One, living in the Holy One. So the ashes are simply realizing who we are and crying out for His life, for eternal life, for life to the full, abundant life. You see, if we really are dust, then the things that Jesus offers in His earthly life and in the Word here to us, and even here today, what He offers to us is something essential to our dust. So, as baseball is cranking up, as I told the kids, uh, and I'm and I'm not going to get onto y'all like I got onto them. Okay. <laughs> Oftentimes, by the way, when I'm pointing, you know, as this has been pointed out before, as I'm pointing a finger out, it's more rhetorical than it is pointing at you, right? But I've got three pointing back at me, right? So that, let's just always keep that in play. Anytime I'm I'm getting on to us, it's it's us, not you. It's also me. And one thing that ...that all the coaches are reminding my sons right now of... ...is let's get back to the fundamentals. Like, it's been a long winter. It's been tons of rain. We almost floated away and saw Noah build an ark. And now it's time to play baseball. But they've kind of forgotten, right? They get out there and they're, they're, they're just trying to throw like... Oh, ...real hard. It's like, hey, let's get back down to the mechanics. Get back down to the basics. The fundamentals, right? I think we need to do the same. Right here at the beginning of Lent... This first Sunday in Lent is to say, okay, in preparation of Easter, let's get back to the basics. What are the basics? Well, you always have to go back to Genesis. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are literally the foundation of everything else. One can think of it as a framework. The entire Bible is framed within what happens in 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis. The whole thing. And so just like a picture has a frame, right? And nothing, everything's in that framework. It, right here, one, two, and three. So we need to carefully read it and understand that it is for us, but it's also about us. In other words, the Genesis story is about us. It's our story. So with that in mind, and remembering that we are but ashes, let us remember what he says here 2 before chapter 3. <laughs> Notice 2, 15 through 17. And, and by the way, this is part of the lecture you're reading, I just hid it from your reading earlier so that I could share what I'm going to share. Okay? So the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Teach us. But even further, Lord, do in us what we learn from this text, we pray in your most holy name. Amen. We are so quick as Christians to identify and recognize our sinfulness. Original sin, right? You know, This is a term that means the first sin. The original sin, the first one, and which is, which is what we read earlier, isn't it? The serpent slithers in, whispers into the ear of Eve a lie, and she partakes of the fruit, gives it to her husband, and he partakes of the fruit in disobedience. And we still argue about where to eat, don't we? Just kidding, that's a joke. Some of you weren't paying close enough attention to get it. It's okay. sorry right. I know it's funny, okay? <laughs> Men and women are still arguing about where to eat. Right? No, listen, this is not just about food, it's about disobedience. Further, it's not just disobedience accidentally. What's the tree of knowledge and good, and of good and evil? It is this opportunity to reach out and become God. Not just like God, but to become God. To take Him off of the throne of our heart and turn inward to ourself. The, uh, I think it was Augustine who said, It is like a curvature ...in on itself. The heart turned inward. And this is what sin does, isn't it? It turns us in. It turns us into ourself... ...which becomes this black hole... ...that eats everything... ...and never is fulfilled. And you felt it before... ...because this is a story about us. Not just about some couple way back... ...that doesn't impact us. No, this couple was a real couple. We read it earlier, didn't we, in Romans... Through this one man, disobedience to all and death. right? So it was an actual man, an actual woman, and yet it's us. It can be at the same time symbolic and actual. That's the beauty of the Holy Scripture. And I love that. No, we turn in on ourself. And we replace us where God should be. We get it all backward. And ultimately, sin is self-interest. It's being self-concerned. It's being selfish. And ultimately, at the center of sin is I. So they reach out, and they say what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. But notice this. Notice this. Our lectionary reading doesn't begin in chapter 3. Which we're so quick to go to and remind people of, Oh, look, I'm a sinner and, you know, can't trust me. And, you know, like, I think it was uh, G.K. Chesterton said, The thing that's most empirically proven in theology is sin. Right? The most, the thing that you can empirically prove the most is sin. I mean, it doesn't take long. Just look at the news today. I don't even know what's happened today. I haven't looked at the news. But I guarantee you'll see the, the... The fallenness of humanity on display every hour in the news cycle. It's apparent that something has gone wrong. But let us remember, friends, that it didn't start that way. It didn't start that way. God did not create the world that we are in now living as it is now in this fallen state That's not his doing. No, friend. He created things good. And chapters 1 and chapters 2 detail that for us. So let us not too quickly go to 3. Yes, 3 is essential. I've already said that. Like, we've got to understand our fallenness. But I think we have a pretty good grasp on that, most of us. Like, we get it. We're experts at sin. But we sometimes discount the good creator body isn't bad no God locates the problem not with our body but with our heart if the body were sinful then when the son of God the second person of the holy trinity took on a body he would have become sinful and he was sinless so the body's not bad we blame the body for something that selfishly is inside of us that needs to be cleansed. Quite frankly, that needs to be crucified. So we must not just begin with the fall where, where, where a lot of people begin. Oh, yeah, humans. Like, let's define humanity real quick. And if we got into that, probably the first thing we'd say is, oh, yeah, humans can't be trusted and they lie. And, they do- and hey, that's all true. But guess what? We weren't created for that. We weren't created that way. We were created good. It was a good creation. I mean, we could talk about... ...instead of the original sin... ...it's the original blessing. Think about that. Instead of the great divorce... ...between us and God... ...it instead is the great marriage... ...in chapters 1 and 2. Instead of the great prohibition... ...don't touch the tree... ...just this one tree... Think about the great permission they had in the garden. They could do anything else. But don't touch that outlet. And what do we do? We begin to do this. Here's what happens. This is not just psychological. This is in the scriptures. We become suspicious of God. Hmm. I wonder why he doesn't want me touching that. Now look, all the other trees... Everything else in here we can play on. But it's the thing that we're prohibited that we focus on. And we begin to think, maybe God really isn't for me. Maybe he's holding out on me. And the church is just saying, oh yeah, you need to go into this Linden fast because they don't want me to enjoy this or that. No, friend. You've got it wrong. He says no so that we can have life to the fullest. It's like telling a kid, hey, listen, you can play in the yard, you can create things in the yard, you can dig in my yard, which is not allowed in my yard, but maybe in your yard. (laughs) You can build stuff there, you can play, but don't get in the road. Don't get in the road. You get in the road, I'll shut it down. You say, oh, man, you're just a mean dad. No, I'm a dad that loves my children. And I see more, and I know more than they do. And in order for them to play in safety, they can't be in the road. They can't be in the road. God's prohibitions to us, which at the beginning is just one, are minimal to what he wants to give us. The early church fathers talked about it as play. And, you know, I've thought about this a lot. G.K. Chesterton has helped me out in this a lot as well. He has this great quote. I I may not need to read the whole thing, but he says this. He goes, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. Anybody get that? Like, buddy, you change something up and it's going to be on. You know what I mean? Well, they always say, do it again. You know, they find something they like. You know what I'm talking about? Like, every once in a while, I'll do this, you know, horse riding thing. This bull, I, I say it bull riding instead of horse riding. So, like, I get all crazy with them, you know, and got them on my leg. And I'm like, whew, all right, do it again. It's like, okay. Do it again. Uh, all right, last time. Now, come on, Do it again. You know, just do it again. They, they would do it all day, I think. All right? He picks up on this. He says, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again. Like in other words what he's getting to is the sun doesn't rise from some mechanical process. God says, do it again. I like that. Do it again. He says he says, what about the lilies? Do it again. The moon Do it again. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God every day says, I'm going to create another daisy. He's never gotten tired of making them yet. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we're the ones who have grown old in sin and our father is younger than we. Isn't that what you found sin does to us? It weighs us down. It brings this deep shame. It it puts us in a place where we can't play. How many of us, honestly, if you just took a little look at yourself, when's the last time you saw your work as play? Saw even your hobby as play? I see people doing hobbies and it doesn't look like play. you got to be free and safe. To play, don't you? Kids, they don't have a care in the world. Oh, I got this meeting at three o'clock. Ah, right. Anybody feel that kind of pressure? <laughs> like my calendar is a slave driver to me. You know, it's like all these different colors. Ah, they determine, and it's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Blakely, she don't care. She doesn't care if I have a meeting. She doesn't. She's not worried about where the next meal is going to come from. Going to the grocery store, paying the bill. No, she just plays in her little room, carefree. What if we trusted God like that? I'm just saying, because of the world around us, sometimes we are too grown up. And we need to have a little more childlike faith. Isn't that what Jesus said? He says, unless you have a faith like a little kid, you never enter the kingdom. You never enter the kingdom. Some of us are weighed down by the things of this world. And Lynn is just a great opportunity to offload some of that stuff. Let's just get it out. Let's do some spring cleaning. Let's just throw some stuff on the fire. No, but way before the original sin, God's intentions for us were with blessing. He wanted to marry us. He married himself to the dirt. Can you imagine? I mean, he just, he creates something. You ever created something? He just, he just makes something, you know? Just like out of Plato. He just makes something and then marries himself to it. Puts his spirit in this creature. Above all other creatures, doesn't he? And we turn away and we become vapid. We become empty. We experience death. For the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. You say, well, but they didn't die. Oh, they did, friend. Death is separation. Physical death is just simply separation of soul and body. But spiritual death is separation from life himself. And that day, they died spiritually. And we, if we could see ourselves, are all stillborns that need life. For we are all born in sin. Because of the one man's disobedience, but thanks be to God, because of another man's obedience, he's created an entirely new line of humanity. Hasn't he? He bypassed Adam. What, what do you think the virginal birth is about? You see, you, you see how important the virginal birth is? We say it in every creed that we say. Yeah, why, why is that important? Well, he bypasses the one who calls death for all, in other words, Adam. Bypassed. Goes through the woman, Mary. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. The breath of God. And he creates a new line. Friend, that's why we have to be born again. You see? This line, we're all born into death. We're all under the curse. Everybody's in the same boat, rowing away to nowhere until another man comes in the flesh for you for me and he creates a new humanity this is the way Paul talks about it isn't it in Romans 5 then in 6 justification in 7 the struggle and in 8 the victory the Holy Spirit in us a life married to God not the great divorce but the great marriage dust and divinity <laughs> man that's good stuff mm. all the permissions he has so much more for us than we ever ever imagined I was in the Labor- library of congress right which is in Washington DC and you know they've got this reading room which I would, I would it'd be like a dream of mine somebody can get me in there you know Do you know what I'm talking about the reading room like you can't get in there unless you're doing research on this old stuff and I need to find something old in there to research you know what I mean and, and so, but you can look in, you can like get up on this little balcony, you can like look down on everybody, and this, this room is just, it's got all these subjects, which our libraries are sort of based on, right? And it's got all these statues that, that correspond to these, so, and, I, and I just wrote a few, like art, Michelangelo and Beethoven, commerce, Columbus and Fulton, history, law, philosophy, poetry, Homer, and, no, it's not Homer Simpson, you know, uh, Homer and Shakespeare, right? Religion, Moses. And Paul, think about, I mean, it was just in, the, in your st- So where the little observatory is, Moses is right here. You can't even see his face. You can see the statue part of it. He's kind of obscuring the view. But just, a, and in science. And just think about what all God has given us to play with. Science, religion, po- poetry, philosophy, law, history, commerce, art, all these things. But we get begin to get suspicious. Hmm. Maybe, maybe he's holding out. Maybe he's not for me. And doesn't that lead us always astray? Brothers and sisters, we need to trust him. He's a good father. I think of my kids when we're, and I can't wait to get back to the pool. Whew, man, it's been a long winter, hasn't it? I feel like I've been in this winter for about two years. Inevitably at the pool. As my kids have grown up, they've all done the same thing. They go to the edge, and I say, "All right, come on, jump in, right?" And they, uh, uh, you know, because it's a big jump. That's, that's, they don't know how to swim. They know it when they're little. You know, I'm not talking about Jackson size. You know, I would, You know, I go under the water. He's like, "What in the world, son?" No, not not talking about him. I'm talking about like Blakely, okay? And it's like, it's like, "Come on, baby, come on." Come on, sweet. jump to daddy. I'll catch you. I promise. Now listen, all of them, I haven't had make to make them jump. They eventually get to the point where they trust dad enough. In that moment, they've known me enough in their three, four years of existence that they know they can trust daddy, and that I have what is best for them. And you know what? Once they do it once, you know, they're so nervous before, right? And it's like, bah, uh, right? All right, daddy's done, do it again, do it again, again, and again, again, until my shoulders are all given out. And that's probably why I have shoulder problems on this left arm, right? <laughs> Aren't we like that? He's, he's saying, hey, 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 listen, we have so much fun in, in the pool. But we start looking over there in the deep end and it's like, I, I, over here, I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know that I, and what we're really saying in our heart is, I can't trust you, God. I can only trust myself. Friend, please, listen to me today. Please, that's, we know where that road ends. You know where it ends. You've already tried trusting yourself up to this point. You know it doesn't work. Would you just jump out in faith today? Would you just trust your father enough for him to catch you? You'll never know the joys the deep joys that he has for you, the rejoicing that can take place unless you jump. That's not a blind faith. It's not all right. Hope you catch me, Dad. You know, no. It's it's going where he calls us. It's hey, right here, sweetie. Come here, jump. And I think he's saying some of that to you today. Let us not be suspicious of God. That's the lie of the serpent. You know that song, um, well, I didn't even look up the name of it, but the, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. This is Martin Luther. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Our mighty fortress is our God, that's it. One little word shall fail. Now people have debated, like, oh, what's I wonder what that word is? Is it Jesus? You know, Jesus, and then I don't think so. Is it the word of God Himself? Like the person of Jesus, not the name, but the person of Jesus. Martin Luther actually tells us himself, uh He says, No devil, you lie. So in his own commentary about the, the song, he says, No. The devil is a lie. So the one little word, get this, liar. Liar. His entire house of cards. All the stuff that he entices us with. and It would be so much better if you had a different wife, a different husband, if you had a different house, a different car, a different dog, whatever it is for you. A different whatever. Body. Body. Life, parents, liar. Mm -hmm. Liar. It steals our joy, doesn't it? Start looking around, oh man, you know. What happens when you look around, you get distracted. What happens when you're distracted, you crash. Crash. Friend, I don't want you to crash. Stop looking around. There's only one source of good. There's only one source of life. And he is for you. And he's saying, jump to me. Stop all this nonsense. Jump to me. Stop having fun up on the concrete with your feet being all hot. Get in the pool. Let's play. I mean, what if our life could be seen as play? I think he wants it to be. What if raising kids could be play? Ooh, boy. Ooh, if he can sanctify that, baby, he can do anything. You know what I mean? Yes, God is concerned with judgment and all those things, and we're not downplaying that at all in the Old Testament. But what we what we have to upplay is that even His judgment comes out of His love for us to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy it. And sometimes I've had to demand my kids right and get angry. I'll, I'll turn them. See, some of you haven't ever seen my my dad voice. You know what I mean. Everybody's got a dad voice. Everybody's got a mom voice. That's a woman, right? And it's like, you know, you see me as nice and presentable. Listen, when I get in my dad voice, it's on. I start being like Gandalf to Bilbo. You say I am a false wizard. You know, he starts getting all. It's like I get in their face. I'm like, son, listen to me. We don't lie in this family because it breaks trust. I'm not going to lie to you, and you're not going to lie to me and old dad's in his dad voice and that was the nice version right there to you right and God's judgment should be a warning to us but it should mean that he wants so much more for us instead our culture this is what our culture says no 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 it's your body it's my body I'll do what I want this is my body. I'll do what I want. You know what Jesus says, friend? This is my body. For you. If we are following that Jesus, the one and true and only living God, the resurrected Lord, we too will take up our cross, denying ourself, and follow him and say, this is my body for you. Not this is my body for me. friend. some of our orientation needs to change today. This, this, this whole thing's not about us. It's not about us. It's so much more and he has so much more, but we'll never experience it if we don't jump out on faith to our father, to our good father who's bidding us to come. Our lectionary read in Psalm 32, we didn't get to read this part, but 11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. I've, listen, I've served God all my life. As far as I know, I've tried to, you know. And ever since I was five, I accepted him. 17, I accepted the call to ministry. But listen, there have been long years of my life that I have begrudgingly served him. I'm just telling you right now, I am done with that. I want what the psalmist is praying be glad. I want to serve him out of gladness and out of rejoicing. And he says, shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Man, upright in heart. See, it's not the body. Stop blaming the body, it's you. <laughs> And you must deny you and take up your cross and be crucified with Christ so that you might live. And he has abundant life for each and every one of us. Every, he, not, he doesn't have favorites. He doesn't have favorites. It's for you. <laughs> you say, what do I do? Well, this is my body. This is my heart for you, Lord. Isn't that what this is about? It's what communion is. It's a sharing. It's an invitation. The family gathering around the table. That's what we do. That's what he's asking for you. And there are joys everlasting in him. Go to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.